All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back at it again here on a beautiful and lovely Saturday morning. This is the Snake Sports Talk Show wherever and however you may be watching and listening. We are live on all platforms, iHeartRadio, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram, and on the Fox D Network. Um... Bottom half of the hour, NFL prime predictions, week nine. I've got it all. We are on fire in the last couple of weeks that we've had prime predictions, so I'm excited of that. Uh, Jeff Hammer Hammond, of course, of the one and only Hammer's House, is going to be joining me here in just about a few minutes. Um, Boy, so much going on right now. The fact that we've got World Series Game 6, it's all on the line. Uh, Houston Astros with a 3-2 lead over the Phillies. Can the Phillies rebound and tie up the series to force a Game 7, or will the Houston Astros be crowned champions? All of that will be up very, very soon. Um, And then we've got so much to talk about all around the league. So first and foremost, I do want to start with this. Um... First of all, there was an awful lot of talks that was basically happening all around in the league. And Emmanuel Ocho, a really, really good analyst, he's on he's on a FS1 Speak, and you know, great guy, very, very motivating, very down to earth, very nice guy. Um, but there was a conversation that was being had that was being um, talked about about Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert. Now, do realize. That all around in this league, we have tons of fantastic quarterbacks. And then we have some that we know teams right now are very, very skeptical on. They may look to get themselves a different quarterback by just, you know, the end of the year. But the ones that they are very sure about, those are the ones that you know they are going to be considering looking for a quarterback down the road. Um, and again, I am all for it. If you don't have the right guy to manning the offense, to really kind of pick up this franchise to where they need to be, then yes, I would be all in on drafting a quarterback. And it's a better draft class this year because the fact that we have Bryce Young, CJ Strout, uh, Will Levis, and also Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. So we've got several other quarterbacks, but Emmanuel Ocho. And this is what really got me is the fact that talking about Justin Herbert and first of all, Herbert's having himself a great year, but unfortunately because of the, the, um, because of the way that the organization right now has basically set the tone, it's been looking difficult for how the chargers could really be pulling themselves out of this hole. But when Emmanuel Acho came on and he talked about Justin Herbert, this was what was said um, during when he was up on Speak. Herbert was overpraised, but not overrated. It's time for me to correct myself. Justin Herbert is both overpraised and maybe the most overrated quarterback in football. So wait, timeout. First of all, 
we overpraised about Justin Herbert coming into the league out of a college that's very conservative, Oregon, which they do not want to make a ton of mistakes. And all of a sudden, he comes into this league and he wows us all in 2020, which we knew there was a potential upside. But the fact that he's listed as overrated because of the way the franchise, first of all, has been ran for 30 plus years, the fact that defensively they're not looking great with a defensive minded coach, the fact that all of his weapons, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton, and several others are all hurt. And Justin Herbert's overrated. We wouldn't be saying this if this was Josh Allen with a terrible O-line, with a terrible defense, and probably with a terrible offensive weaponry. We wouldn't be saying this, would we? We wouldn't be saying this if this was Patrick Mahomes behind center with the same deal. So how is it that we nail a lot of this issues on Justin Herbert's shoulders? Why on earth would we end up thinking this way? Listen, we knew coming into this league, Justin Herbert was going to be great. We thought it would take a little bit more time than normal. But the fact that time ended up getting rushed to where he was in at week two because of the Tyrod Taylor situation with the injury that had punctured his lung, it made him come in. And in the end, you couldn't sit down the talent, which right now all is on the line for Brandon Staley. And you could totally tell right now, this was all Dean Spanos's hire. That was all it was. Dean Spanos interviewed Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi for those positions that they are in now. And that was clearly a Spanos hire. People don't want to admit that. Charger fans will tell you that. But the fact of the matter is, Look at all around you. Could you imagine if we would have talked about this if Brian Dable was the head coach? Or would we be saying this if Mike McDaniel was the head coach? We would have a completely different narrative. I'm sorry, Emmanuel Acho, but I have to disagree with you with that. The fact of calling a top-tier quarterback who unfortunately has the reins pulled almost every single week by his head coach by this franchise, and the way that things have been running. It's not Justin Herbert's fault. The fact of the matter is, is that there is no support. And we just had the trade deadline. They didn't trade for a wide receiver. I don't even think that they were going to because they were quote-unquote scared of the cap. But you're in Los Angeles. You're in a big, massive money market. Much like New York. Much like Chicago. Chicago got Chase Claypool. And then the, Ch the Chiefs ended up making a deal to get Kadarius Toney. Anything is possible from the end of that. So that's what they have to work on. And I have a feeling they're, they're four and three right now. And they're playing the Falcons tomorrow. My only fear is that if they lose to Arthur Smith and the Falcons tomorrow, this is the time to start judging. This is the time to say that Joe Lombardi doesn't work as an offensive coach, way too conservative at times, and cannot utilize Justin Herbert's strengths for the better. And Brandon Staley 
You're a defensive-minded coach. You are somebody who ended up ranking the Rams defense in 2020 as the number one best defense in the league. And you're not playing like that. You have Khalil Mack. You have several other players. And you cannot still stop the run. It doesn't make any sense. But we want to make, but we want to say Justin Herbert is an overrated quarterback. Which, by the way, let me go ahead and give some stat, uh, some statistical facts about Justin Herbert. Because making some type of asinine comment like this, it just makes me laugh. And I do again. I do like Emmanuel Acho. I'm not banging on him. I, I'm not. I'm not. You know, bashing him in any other way possible. But here's the thing. So this is what he has, okay? Overrated quarterback when he's completed 65, close to 66% of his throws. He's averaging 2,000 yards this year. And he's got 12 touchdowns in four, te- in four picks with a quarterback rating of at least 91. And we want to say he's overrated. I don't get it. I don't get it. Don't weigh, don't weigh the pressures and yet the failures of the franchise on Justin Herbert's shoulders. We've been saying this since 2020. This is how Anthony Lynn lost his job. And I have a feeling that if they do not make the playoffs, because this is a lot of pressure, but if they don't make the playoffs, Brandon Staley will be fired along with um, Joe Lombardi. They are going to need to pivot to offense because Look at all the, around the rest of the league. First of all, the Minnesota Vikings, we know Kirk Cousins is limited in prime time games. What do they do? They just got themselves a top-tier tight end in TJ Hawkinson, and they just have a new offensive-minded coach in Kevin O'Connell, and they are running the North. They're running the North. Miami pivoted off of defense, even though we did like Brian Flores and his defensive mindset, but... They pivoted to offense. They got Tyreek Hill. They have Jalen Waddle. They have so much speed, and they're utilizing Tua's abilities. And they'll be a playoff team. But when you're going in the cold between Buffalo and New England, that's that's a different story. That is challenging to the core. But I'm telling you, Justin Herbert is probably just the best thing that you could ask for anywhere up in the league outside of Josh Allen, outside of Patrick Mahomes, outside of Lamar Jackson, and several other quarterbacks. Like, could you imagine if Justin Herbert was in Miami and what that team would have looked like? Good God, they'd be torching the field. I mean, you could plug Justin Herbert in any other offense. But this here, don't bash on Justin Herbert because of the failures of this organization. Look, I've been a longtime Charger fan since I was seven years old. I'm not a fandom, okay, even though I do love my team, but I am very reasonable about my team. I very much am. Spanos, as long as he's continuing to be the owner, he tends to be frugal, doesn't like to spend a whole lot of money, even in an L.A. market, which doesn't make any sense, and then they don't want to end up making trades. So is that Telesco or is that Spanos speaking in his ear? And then, again, pressures on Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi because they can't seem to get Justin Herbert in the playoffs. And he is the only, the only star quarterback we have yet to see in the playoffs. We saw Lamar. We saw Josh Allen. We saw Patrick Mahomes. We've even seen Matthew Stafford. 
and several other star quarterbacks. Hell, even Derek Carr got into the playoffs with so much chaos in that organization. But we they can't do that. So that's where you really have to make a serious change. But sorry, Emmanuel Acho, I, I wouldn't call Justin Herbert overrated. I wouldn't. 12 TDs, four picks, and he's completing 66% of his throws. <clears throat> Doesn't sound so overrated to me. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, so first of all, I know a lot of people, and I, I've, I've been checking Messenger all throughout this week. But here's what I will say, and I'm going to say it the best way possible. For those that know me personally and have followed my show everywhere that it has gone, I've talked about a lot of hardcore topics. I've talked about the pandemic. I've talked about Black Lives Matter. I've talked about several of these things on this platform. And this platform is never meant to be political. It was also never meant to um it was never meant to be biased to be on one side or the other. It's more of being the balancer. It's more of taking outside perspectives looking in and then coming up with a solution to every single one of them. So Kyrie Irving, he's suspended for five games for an anti. Um, he ended up putting a post on his, um, on his social media. And of course, everybody's outraged. I'm not surprised. First of all, I was never a fan of Kyrie Irving since he went into this league out of Duke. I was not a big fan. Yes, he was a number one overall pick. And yes, he is a great scorer. He's also a really talented finisher. I could talk about a lot of things about what he can do on the court. But a lot of the off-the-court stuff, I've never ever had an interest. I've never had a liking to any of those things. Okay, like here's my deal. I'm very optimistic and I'm also very balanced and open-minded. First of all, I have my soon-to-be wife, my fiance, who's very spiritual. She's also somebody who questions a lot of things and she teaches me a lot. She teaches me to think far and beyond what the world itself and the society and the government and how we run things. I mean, think about it. I could tell you right now, there are certain secrets that the government keep from us and they keep from their own people internally. They don't want to leak that stuff out because it's all about control. It's all about keeping everybody all in the same plateau and on the same lines. But, um, <clears throat> This kind of thing with Kyrie Irving, and I feel bad for Brooklyn in some ways, but Brooklyn, you kind of brought this upon yourself, yourselves. I mean, nobody wanted to be in any business with this Kyrie Irving thing. Nobody did. And what's worse, this has become a terrible stain in Kevin Durant's uh, career. <clears throat> you swapped out Steph Curry for this? For Kyrie Irving, who's flaky, and then at times has this anti um, <clears throat> this anti-Semitism type of post, and 
is talking about, you know, vaccines and all the rest of it. Look, Aaron Rodgers talks about vaccines all the time. He's not a fan. That's fine. You have your you have your opinion. You have your point about vaccines, but doesn't mean that you have to force or have to jam it down somebody's throat in order to get your point. That's not what it's about. You have a standpoint. Stand behind what you say. And when it comes to Kyrie, he doesn't want to get vaccinated. He sure as hell doesn't even want to be ended up practicing, especially with the way that the tire fire is in Brooklyn. And then in the end, <clears throat> it's leaving guys like Kevin Durant behind. And what's worse is Kevin Durant has to support it so small that he knows this is not good. This is not how I want to shape my brand. And this is going to be chaotic. This now leaves me in a vulnerable position where I don't even know what to say. That's what, Kyrie, that's what Kevin Durant is dealing with. And honestly, Kevin, you need to distance yourself from Kyrie Irving. Brooklyn, you should have never got into business with this guy. Absolutely not. And then worst of all, you now have Ben Simmons, who's not great. Okay, he's a great defender only when he wants to be. And then in the end, he's now screwing a lot. And like, this is what sucks. <clears throat> the NBA is not like the NFL. You can't just opt out of contracts. You can't just destroy contracts and then just go, okay, yep, yep, we're, we're done with you. That's not how this works, unfortunately. And I really wish that the NBA would make a, um, <clears throat> they would make an adjustment per period to that. Because a lot of these contracts that you see, First of all, the, the Russell Westbrook contract is so damn ridiculous that I feel very bad for sometimes how the Lakers have been handling the situation, but they've been putting him out of the bench and he's been scoring points off the bench. So maybe some of that could work. But in the end, <clears throat> that contract, when it was first signed out of Oklahoma City, was absolutely ridiculous. And it was terrible. Nobody wanted that contract. Nobody wanted to take that on. But this Kyrie Irving deal, the fact that, first of all, he doesn't want to get vaccinated. He, he's not even practicing a whole lot of the time. Sometimes has all these injuries. And then to post an anti-Semitism type post and then not take it down tells you a lot about his character. This is who he is. Like, guys, wake up. People that have been defending Kyrie Irving for quite some time, look at what's in front of you. This isn't if you're running a high, <clears throat> if you're running a Fortune 500 company and you're trying to build your company around one, one very open-minded, optimistic person, I would not build, I would not build a company around Kyrie Irving. I would not. You could not defend somebody like that. And I say this to the best of the extent. And listen, I have a lot of great friends, people of different races, people of different cultures, people of different standpoints. That's because I'm so open-minded and I'm very optimistic and I love everybody's standpoints and their ideas because it's what makes us a big community. In order to be a successful team, it does take a village. You gotta be willing to be accepting and have a balance of everyone's standpoints. I can't do that with Kyrie Irving. Nobody can. That's why I'm like, 
Brooklyn, you need to figure out how to get yourselves out of this whole deal because at the end of the point, he's burned Boston, he's burned LeBron and the Cavs, and currently he's destroying the Nets. This is a bad look for the Brooklyn Nets all in itself. And honestly, however the NBA and Adam Silver really kind of take this thing, I mean, look, we dealt with a lot of different controversial stuff. We dealt with the Colin Kaepernick situation. Now we're dealing with this Kyrie Irving situation. We're de we dealt with a lot of different situations over the years. Whether it was handled right or wrong, we've dealt with, we remembered those times when that situation and the scenario came around. People didn't defend the person. P some people did have at least a little of support, but this, this is completely over the top. And so, yeah. Nike ended up stripping away all their sponsorships and all the rest of them for Kyrie Irving. And honestly, because I would not be supporting that at all, not in any way, shape or form. I mean, <clears throat> think about it this way. You know, we talk about a lot of different celebrities. You know, the Illuminati is still around, right? Yeah, there are people who do. Um, they do know about the Illuminati. Do they end up supporting it? Do they end up, you know... Uh, having an interest in it, it's kind of half and half. I mean, it's interesting stuff, but would I focus my attention up on that? Probably not. Only because I have my own standpoint, I have my own opinion, and I'm very optimistic, and that's fine. You can have all those things. Nobody's telling you that you shouldn't. It's a freedom of speech type country. At least I hope it is, right? It's a freedom of speech. Everybody <clears throat> has an opinion and has something to speak upon. But at the same time, be respectful of who is up front in your jersey. Be respectful of the people that are around you. Because even if it doesn't offend you, it could offend somebody else. Like, you do realize that words are the most powerful thing on the face of this earth. And sometimes, too, certain posts, when they see them, nobody, nobody is going to completely agree with what your standpoint is going to be. So, sorry, Kyrie, but this, this is time for growing up, man. This is time to grow up, focus on basketball. Any of those points you have, there is a saying of keep it to yourself. Don't expose it to the rest of the world. Nobody's going to take interest. And something like this, and then not to destroy the post, tells a lot about your type of character. I just say it as real as it possibly gets. I understand you have a standpoint, but this, this is far beyond than anybody can go from there. All right. Um, <clears throat> all right. So with that now out of my, you know, off my shoulders and all the rest of it. Um, so really good colleague of mine. And of course, really good personal friend of mine, which we talk all day about sports, whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball. And he covers up uh, both sides, of course, with the Raiders and the New York Mets. And the one house that you could definitely catch it all is on Hammer's house. And so joining me via the Global Satellite Network presented by StreamYard, Jeff Hammer Hammond joining me of the Hammer's house. Um. Things do not appear to be looking good for the Raiders. And I don't know what it may be. I mean, I mean, it might be a Josh McDaniels thing. Um, 
it was such an embarrassment. And listen, I picked the Raiders against New Orleans that week. It was very embarrassing to see that type of performance. So now you're facing Jacksonville this week. Is there a possibility somewhere in the middle, whether the defense or the offense, that Josh McDaniels could make a serious change to get the Raiders to bounce back and be better? I really think it's McDaniels at this point. Um, we, we've heard the conversations in the past about this offensive scheme and everything and how it's very complex and it's very difficult to learn. Look, we are in week nine. If they couldn't seem to get it down at this point, you should have dummied it down weeks ago. The, the talks about our rankings and, oh, we're third in offense. That's an amazing story, bro. We're two and five stats rankings don't mean shit unless you're fucking winning the defense. We didn't spend the money. We should have, we put almost half a billion dollars into our offense. We still need a legit uh, defensive tackle that can cause pressure along the offensive line. We need another guy in the secondary. We need another linebacker. A lot of things were not done. Didn't make a single move during the trade deadline. We're just playing it out now. You, you guys are assessing these players the rest of the year, but realistically, and I had said this last night, I, I really think that the Raider fans, the media jumped the gun way too much. This realistically is a two- to three-year plan. We just need to let this rock the rest of the year and see what happens. Do I think that we can win tomorrow? I think it's going to be a very close game. Um, Jacksonville comes in not winning a game in October. They're just coming back from London with that loss. I, I think it's going to end up being a very, very close game tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be a quite the interesting game. And here's what's funny about this. Um, so Mark Davis talked about this in one of the press conferences, and it almost kind of smells like – oh, sorry. Um, it almost kind of seems like – there's a talk about Josh McDaniels and possibly on the coaching spot. Um, we actually saw this a week ago with Nathaniel Hackett because if Denver lost against Jacksonville in London, Hackett was going to be gone, which rightfully so because this is embarrassing for Russell Wilson and it's kind of embarrassing for Denver as a whole knowing they're trying to change up the look of the Broncos. Um does it kind of feel like there's an awful lot of pressure similarly to what happened with Nathaniel Hackett um, and then here coming this week for Josh McDaniels? So do you think that might be something that could be prevailing or do we already kind of see the seats getting red hot and Josh McDaniels just does not know how to handle it? No, because Mark Davis has already spoken to him behind closed doors after two games this season, including the loss to the Saints. And Mark Davis already made it known to the public the other day that McDaniels is going to be here for years to come. So people that are all fire McDaniels, da, 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 it's not happening right now. We got we have to deal with that for the time being, but he is the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders uh, moving forward. So um, I do want your opinion on this because, you, you know, first of all, during the offseason, um, Lots of guys got their extensions. Obviously, Devontae Adams, after getting acquired, he got his contract extension to stay there in Vegas. Um, Derek Carr got his extension. Um, Darren Waller, I think a lot of people are kind of, they're skeptical about 
obviously with what his playmake has been. They're skeptical of, did we regret signing Darren Waller to this extension? To me personally, I don't think so. Because if you look around the league, you need to have some type of star tight end like a George Kittle, like Travis Kelsey. So I don't regret the Raiders signing. But looking at Josh Jacobs, though, he is having himself a hell of a year, and he's making a statement known, I do belong here. Is there a possibility the Raiders could work out a deal and a reasonable deal that may keep Josh Jacobs and hopefully have the development of Z- of Zamir White and be the best running back tandem in the league? I think Jacobs is going to end up getting franchise tagged. Um, it sucks that they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. Jacobs is a guy that I've been high on even coming out of Bama into the draft, I was like, this is baby beast mode. We need to have him here. Um, As long as he stays healthy and continues to do what he's doing, but it's not really him. It really falls on Josh McDaniels as well. Mm -hmm. As you guys saw last week, they steered away from the run game. He had 10 touches total for 43 yards. And the previous weeks he had carried for well over 300, 400 yards in uh, three games. It really comes down to what the play calling is going to be by Josh McDaniels. If they continue to ground and pound, have more of a balanced offense, then look, this guy could potentially, we could see him getting close to 2,000 yards rushing this year if he's healthy. But um, I I understand why they did did decline the option on him, Abram, Klee, with Waller in this contract extension. It's like he had two years remaining. Average salary of about six and a half mil. He didn't do anything last year. He missed a he missed a lot of time last year with this back injury, the knee injury. And now he comes in, he gets his extension, and now has the issues with the hamstring. The the last time he really had solid numbers was 2019 in John Gruden's offense. You didn't give these guys options, or you declined their options rather, but you gave Waller an extension for what? Because he he's not doing anything for us right now. And I hope he can turn this around, but we, we have to wait and see. Yeah, hopefully that they he can be able to turn this around because this is one thing that, you know, like you said, the Raiders spent an awful lot of money on offense and you got to have these guys produce. I mean, and again, I, I think Darren Waller's a terrific player. Does injuries happen? Absolutely they do. But <clears throat> I wouldn't give up on a product that you know that you've seen him in the last couple of years here in Vegas and what he's capable of doing. Um, because could you imagine if he got shipped out of town and then all of a sudden he starts producing for a different team? The Raiders will be feeling a different type of way well, after of all that. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it, and to me, that's why I'm like, give it some time with Darren Waller. But the one thing that has to happen and – This is kind of hard because Derek Carr has been statistically really good in the last couple of seasons, and it just kind of seems like he's hit a roadblock. Is that part of the offensive line started to deteriorate outside of Colton Miller and a couple of other pieces? Um, What are you seeing currently with Derek Carr? And is it something, I know it's a touchy subject for Raider fans, but is there something you might be seeing this year that might make you a little bit skeptical and think we may look at our options, but this right now is what we have left to deal with. The, the offensive line definitely has played a part in it. Um, look, run blocking, they're doing a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. 
Pass blocking is still suspect as hell. I really wish we would have tried to get a veteran right tackle. They've been going back and forth with Jermaine Illuminor and Thayer Mumford. I get why they brought back Illuminor. He had the familiarity with the offensive scheme and everything, but he's not cutting it, averaging at least two penalties a game. It's like McDaniels is doing him a favor. Oh, you're, you're starting this week. He'll be in there for a series or two, and then it's like, all right, get off the field. Mumford, you're in. And Mumford has been on the heels of Illuminor throughout training camp and everything, and he's doing a, pre- a pretty solid job. Uh, our third-round draft pick out of Kentucky, Dylan Parham, very versatile offensive lineman. When Andre James was out with the concussion, he filled in at center. You can plug and play him on either side of the center. You can put him at center. He's doing a really good job as a rookie so far. Um, again, I do think it's the offensive play calling. And it, it appears from something that I was listening to the other day um, that McDaniels is the one who's calling this stuff. That when it comes to the checkdowns, it's not necessarily Derek Carr. They'll audible to something else, but it's something that McDaniels wants. And at times it doesn't succeed. The the trick plays, that stuff's got to stop. Like it really is insanity. You're repeating the same thing over and over again to get a different result or expecting a different result. And still it's not positive yardage nine times out of 10. So. Yeah, no, that that's interesting though. Jeff Hammerhammond joining me here on the snake sports talk show. It is, that is very interesting. And the fact that you would think Josh McDaniels would have learned his ways since being with Tim Tebow in Denver and in this in this division in the AFC West because of how difficult it is, um, you would think he would have learned that by now. Um, <clears throat> and it is interesting coming from a team that last year out of all the chaos with the John Gruden thing and then play, you know, players, obviously, you know, the Henry Ruggs situation, everybody else. And then, you know, you had Rick Passaccia as the head coach. Could you have seen this in a different way, knowing of the team made the playoffs with an interim coach? And do you think Rick Passaccia, if they didn't go through with Josh McDaniels, could we have seen a different aspect of this team if he had still been, you know, if he had possibly gotten the head coaching job for the Raiders full time? It's tough to say because who you, who were you going to bring in as your – as the rest of your coaching staff, who's going to be your offensive coordinator? Who's going to be your defensive coordinator? Cause I know you wouldn't have kept the same guys around. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to say. And at the same time, um, look, the new regime, the new front office are the ones that brought in some of these guys, mm-hmm. Devonte Adams, Chandler Jones, Rocky scene, Anthony Averitt. So I, I think they did, they did right in regards to this new front office and everything. But again, a lot of us jumped the gun. We need to be patient. This is legitimately a two to three year plan. I know everybody, oh, they're going to go to the Super Bowl this year. No, mm. just relax, be patient, and just let the rest of the season play out the way it needs to play out. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the interesting part of that is because the next year, the Super Bowl is up in Las Vegas. So maybe there's an eyeball from there that if things don't happen by this year, Maybe, just maybe, they're circling up that next year on that portion of it, knowing it's in Vegas. A lot will be up on the line, so maybe there's a possibility they might be fo- they might be focusing their attention onto what may be ahead for next year. But 
Yeah, I agree with you with that. I, I, I do think it's one, they have to be patient because this is not something that gets done overnight. You know, and this is something that the Raiders, they obviously have to evaluate a lot of things. I do love a lot of their offensive potentials. But if this offensive line is not completely secured from the passing uh, blocking span, uh, standpoint, and then the rest of the defense, because <clears throat> you're looking around the league. I mean, you got speedsters all around. Miami's got a hell of a, an offensive weaponry um, type of team. Kansas City now just got uh, Kadarius Tony. So, and that's an interesting thing. So, with Kansas City getting Kadarius uh, Tony, they're filling in the spot that Tyreek Hill just had. Um, if that were like, if the when the Raiders do face the Chiefs again, how how exactly would the Raiders approach that, knowing that you have Juju Smith-Schuster, who I think is a great route runner, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, who can obviously go deep downfield, and then there's Kadarius Toney with his speed, with his hands. How do you think that, that may impact, especially for the rest of the teams in the division? Kadarius Toney is a guy that, you know, I'm on the East Coast, so I obviously hear more about uh, New York sports than anything else. But Kadarius Toney is a guy that's almost never available. It's, mm -hmm. He's one of those receivers that's just very often injured. Um and when it comes to Kansas City, they have a whole bunch of number two receivers right now. Mm -hmm. We know who Patrick Mahomes' go-to guy is. Mm -hmm. We saw it when we played them in uh, Monday night a month ago. And that's Travis Kelsey. Dude had seven receptions for 25 yards, four touchdowns. Like, what? Like, <laughs> that's not supposed to happen. Um <laughs> But I, I stated this earlier, and I'm going to continue to to think this way. Again, I'm very optimistic the rest of the way for this team. I think that the Week 18 matchup at home against the Chiefs could have some serious implications on where these teams could potentially be seeded in the playoffs and potentially uh, a division winner as well. Mm. I, I Look, Kansas City is very talented. We all looked at this AFC West being like historically the toughest division in the NFL. That's not the case right now. Mm -hmm. We've seen the ups and downs, the ups and downs between the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos, the Chargers. I, I said this when you guys were signing everybody left and right during the offseason. You guys better have your health insurance paid up. Yep. You see a lot of guys dropping like flies over there. Glad we didn't go for J.C. Jackson, um, Bosa. It's just one thing after another with the injury bug, even uh, Herbert taking that rib shot. It's a very th – this this season as a whole in the NFL has been entirely upside down. Like, nobody saw the Jets doing as good as they're doing. Mm -hmm. Nobody saw the Giants doing as good as they're doing. It's crazy right now. Yeah, it's interesting. And even <clears throat> like I mentioned earlier on the show, talking about, you know, first of all, I do like Emmanuel Acho. I think he's a very motivated person and he's very down to earth. But to to basically say <clears throat> that Justin Herbert is an overrated quarterback. First of all, I just looked at stats. 12 touchdowns, four picks, and he's completing 66% of his throws with a quarterback rating of 91. Like, you can't throw an overrated title on a quarterback that, first of all, his franchise, and especially Dean Spanos, has always had a tendency to be frugal for the last 40 years. Um, 
And second of all, you got injury bugs everywhere. And the only person who's really playing consistent is Khalil Mack. I can make the argument from there. For but now. It, yeah, so it's like stuff like that. And, and I do agree because the fact that, yes, we, there needs to be an insurance plan for a lot of these guys. We're starting to see that right now with the, the offensive weapons. And if however the year goes, the Chargers miss the playoffs. I said this before. Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi, they're going to be out the door because this clearly was a Spanos hire. And I don't know. I mean, I, I still am kind of optimistic that it could be Sean Payton looking at this thing. He lives in Los Angeles, loves golfing about there. So he could be looking at this scenario and say, we can get Justin Herbert there or I'll make a I'll make a take. Maybe they need to go and apologize to Shane Steichen in Philadelphia because he'll be another one with an offensive-minded uh, play calling and looking for a head coaching job. So maybe that's a possibility for the Chargers to maybe rekindle everything that he had from 2020 and maybe fix this uh, fix this team up. Doubt it. But- <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's shift over to – and you talked about a lot about New York sports as well. And I actually just had um, – I had Nikki just from the third third and three podcast talking about this, but the energy levels in New York, I've been there six times in my life. And I used to love how the energy levels when walking down Manhattan and times square and everywhere else, it, you just see the lights are on. Everybody's energetic. Everybody loves, you know, being around in the city only when New York teams are winning. And I'm looking at this whole scenario. The Rangers got to the Eastern conference final last year. And then, the Islanders in the last couple of years kind of made some noise. And then now here we are with the Giants and Jets. It's just like New York now finally seems like they have a heartbeat. What are you seeing? So I, I moved out of New York, what, I think it's been about three months now. Mm-hmm. I've, I just recently stepped foot back in New York about two weeks ago. And I don't really hear anything. At least I haven't because, you know, I, I was out around Times Square, but this is like the middle of the night. So I'm not seeing the sport fans out, but I did, I walked by the Empire State Building. I think it was Friday night. The Knicks just beat the hell out of the Pistons. So the Empire State Building was lit up in orange and blue. Um, I know a lot of, a lot of these fan bases right now are excited about their teams. Um, even baseball season, not the way a lot of us expected things to end with both the Mets and the Yankees. But look, there's been, it's just a surge all of a sudden with all these teams doing really, really well. And then you have back page news for the wrong reasons with the nets, but mm-hmm. I'm not even going to get into that. The <laughs> jets and the giants, the jets were one of three teams that I had said had a very, very solid draft. Mm-hmm. The jets, the Ravens and the Eagles. And we see what the Eagles are doing as well right now. I think that the energy that was brought in for the giants with Brian Dable as their new head coach and what he's doing for Daniel Jones is tremendous. Mm-hmm. I definitely commend him for that because I was one of those dudes that just was like, Daniel Jones is not the answer. Who the hell drafts a quarterback out of Duke in the first round? Um, but he's definitely turned that team around tremendously. Uh, same with the Jets. Again, that draft class, they've been doing solid. Vegas had the Jets at only winning five and a half games this year. Mm-hmm. And Look, they've already won their five. They're they're 
It could be on pace for seven or eight at this point. They could be on for even more than that if they continue to do what they're doing right now. I, mm. I really think so. And this is not a Jet fan. Um, I, I just I'm very, very surprised to see both of these teams doing as well as they are right now, uh, respectively in, in their divisions as well. Uh, absolutely. And thinking about that, too, because we're even talking about, <clears throat> you know, the trade deadline and. Here's what's interesting about this. So we've been talking about Chicago for years and years and years and years because the McCaskies seem to not throw away that 1950s television where we're tough, we're midway, you know, we, we love the defense. Now they just got rid of a lot of pieces. They already got rid of Khalil Mack to the Chargers. They got rid of Roquan Smith to Baltimore, and they just got rid of Robert Quinn to Philadelphia. But yet they accumulated a lot of draft picks and they got Chase Claypool. Is there a possibility that Justin Fields, we might actually see something there? We might. I, I, I think right now, I think they finally got the picture that the team needs to run uh, through their franchise quarterback. That's Justin Fields. And um, I think now that they finally got it, I think they are in somewhat of a rebuild. And I think they're also seeing what is going on right now or what's not going on in green Bay where they have similar records, but they're like, Hey, we might actually have a shot to even just get a wild card right now. Let's make these necessary moves to try to get fields to succeed and see what happens moving forward the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, cause I, I do like Matt Eberflus. I really do think he's a, um, like he, I think he's a really good head coach. I think they hit the nail on that one. Um, <clears throat> and then of course they've got, uh, their offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, which I think is very, very, um, like he's very creative. And I do think maybe opening up this playbook a little more will help Chicago to finally realize, cause you're looking around the league. There's not a whole lot of defensive coaches up out there. There's still a good select handful, but we're seeing with what happens with Robert Sala. Very defensive, but he's a likable guy. He's very hyper and energetic. And again, you look at the Jets and you don't know if Zach Wilson's really the quarterback. They could be looking at it like, if we give him one more year, that's pretty risky. So it's like you either do or you don't want to end up drafting another quarterback at the end of it just to seeing how this roster really works with him. Um, talking about, too, the Mets. Um, so first of all, won 100 games, and then all of a sudden they lost in the postseason. Tough, tough loss itself. What What is just the mindset right now for a lot of Met fans and just kind of seeing the bigger picture and now what needs to, what needs to happen during this offseason? Because there are a lot of big names out there on their roster that they're on free agency. What right now needs to happen for the Mets and could they – potentially build themselves to maybe get a deeper run in the postseason. So this is pretty much similar to what I said before with the Raiders and what their plan is. Now we all know that the Wilpons no longer own the Mets. Thank God. Steve Cohen took over uh, two years ago. Very first thing he said in his first presser as owner of the Mets was that they have a two to three year plan. To win a World Series. Year one, obviously, didn't do shit. Year two, 
look, we made it to the playoffs. We got in as a wild card. We won 100 games. We should have had the division. We were in first place almost in the entire season and just fell apart towards the tail end. Look, that's year two. We at least got into the playoffs. Um, there's a lot of guys out there right now that are going to be on the free agent market. We've already seen potential deals and predicted numbers for these guys. Jacob deGrom, three-year, $125 million. Edwin Diaz, five years, $105 million. Brendan Nimmo, seven years, $145 million. Chris Bassett, three years, $66 million. Taewon Walker, five, seventy. Look, we have the money now. We have an owner that actually wants to spend. I don't see why we don't bring back a handful of these guys. I would love to have DeGrom back here. Chris Bassett, I think he's a really good asset in the rotation. I would love to have him back. And bet your ass that I want Mr. Narcos himself, Mr. Timmy Trumpet, Edwin Diaz back, just so I can hear that damn song every <laughs> single night at City Field in the ninth inning. <laughs> I knew you were going to end up saying something about that because that trumpet is just absolutely legendary, man. That's For real, I, I, I've played it. I've played it in my house and have run down the stairs a few times here and there. That, that's my shit. Oh, my son man. is in the building. Shout out to my son. Love you, son. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so, yeah, because I, I mean, looking at it, I mean, the Yankees—they obviously like they. I mean. I knew that it was not going to be easy playing against the Cleveland Guardians and the fact that they made it in the way that they did. Um, but the fact that they faced the Astros and they couldn't end up winning a game, that was crazy. And then they dropped their ticket prices from 211 to 20 bucks for, of course, to get some way to get the fan base to like buy stuff, whether it was, you know, the, the concession or it was some merchandises like I was just, yeah, <clears throat> I was like, that would have been a great time to go and see a Yankee game. I didn't care how the Yankees play, but it's 20 bucks. I'm it's glad like... got Look, I'm not a Yankee fan. I'll never be a Yankee fan. I don't care. My team was out. I'm not going to root for the evil empire. That is the New York Yankees. And uh, now with Aaron Judge, look, we mm. could see him uh, hop on that seven train and make his way over to us. We could potentially see him in Dodger blue. We could see him in San Francisco. It's very, very much up in the air right now. So let me give you this here real quick. So we've got some big names, at least three of them that I can name off the top of my head. Where, where we may see their fate at and how much could they possibly uh, pay them? Because remember Juan Soto, He's going to be looking for some type of big deal contract and whoever is going to pick that contract up is probably going to get somebody special for the fact that first he's young in age and he's got really good production. So <clears throat> of at least three, who, who would we say is going to a different place or could possibly be retained by the team? So I think, uh, at this point, especially because they didn't win it all this year, mm -hmm. I really don't see Judge coming back to the Yankees. And uh, I'm sorry to you Yankee fans, but I'm really not. Uh, you you made an offer to him. He kind of laughed it off like, now nah, I'm testing the market. Um, like I said, with Judge, I think it could be one of three teams. I think it could be the Dodgers, the Giants, or even the Mets. I, I, I really do not think that he will come back to the Bronx. Um, Soto, it's tough. Um, this is another guy that very young, 
how many years are you looking to offer him? You know, Washington tried their best to try to keep him, and he said, hell no, I'm out. Um, I, it's very, very hard to say right now where I could potentially see him. Um, look, if L.A. wants to spend that money again, I, I think maybe L.A. could be that team. Uh, does Boston have interest in him? Maybe. Ooh, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, it's very tough to say right now. Now they did say because, of course, you know our friend Bobby. He's been he's told me a lot about this. He's probably saying they're probably going to have to forego Xander Bogarts because mm-hmm. they do want to spend a lot of their money on Rafael Devers. Which I've said it. Do you know anybody else that could be that good at that corner of th- at third base? Like anybody else up on that market? It's very it's a little flat. That's why I'm like. You better retain him because that's a hard position to really like. If you have some money in the farm system that you could build up, that is going to be hard to replace. Only other third so, base, only other third baseman I can think of right now, and he's a little up there in age, but I think mm-hmm. he still has at least another two, maybe three years left. If uh, the Dodgers don't try to hold on to him, is my old teammate Justin Turner, and. Yep. Justin Turner is another guy that I'm thinking the Mets were dumb to let him go in the first place. Um, I would not mind seeing him back and having a left uh, left side tandem of him and Francisco Lindor. That would be insane. Oh, my God. And, and the fact that he adjusted a lot of his swing, too. Like, you've seen how he was in New York. He was getting to that point where he was going to be really productive and then comes to Los Angeles – and now his production's through the roof. Like averaging, I, I think I think his um batting average since he was in LA was like 296. Yeah, it's like close with to a, like well OP, in the 300s. Like with an OPS of like 0.850. And I was like, fuck, like and he's hitting what 20 plus bombs a year? Yeah. yeah. Like that, that's insane. Like it it's crazy. Oh, the Dodger about to dump the bag on Trey. That's going to be an interesting. That is going to be an interesting talk because there's a lot of talks about Trey Turner with whether the Dodgers, the Cubs right now. I've been hearing this from Mike Hughes a lot. He's like, that's his dream wish list of shortstops, whether it's him or it's Bogarts that could potentially land in Chicago. Like they're they're eyeballing what he's got, and I don't blame him. You still got great years on Trey Turner. But are we talking Shakur, Chicago North Side or Chicago South Side? Oh, Shakur, oh, the Cubs. I mean, the the Cubs need something. That I'm I'm real curious to see what, if any, uh type of moves that the Cubs try to make this coming offseason. I'm actually very intrigued because I just look, they they blew that whole team up. And mm-hmm. it's crazy to see what's left and what's not there anymore. Like, what are they going to do this offseason? Yeah. And they didn't even, um, they didn't even ship out guys like Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras. And like, I thought I, Contreras was going to be gone. I swore up and down that Contreras was going to end up going to a contender and being out of there. I was I very thought, surprised. I thought so too. Like, if him. you were going to accumulate picks or if you were going to accumulate a couple of minor leaguers, yeah. I thought that was really what was going to be the deal. Because if I had to think, like teams that would have needed catchers, I would have seen. Um, <clears throat> I probably would have seen a deal with potentially Cleveland in a way, 
I could have seen that being a fit. And then I, I mean, because right now the Mets, they are sold on Alvarez. They're not getting rid of him. No, they're not even going to try to move him. No. I think he's, I think he's going to be great next year. I think that kid's get, like, he's got a lot of potential upside. I've seen some highlights of him in the minor leagues. I think he's going to be great. And I think that's going to give Jacob deGrom a different look, especially when it comes to a play caller. Like that is going to be interesting. So yeah. Prez, I, just I, said, Prez just said, I thought Wilson was going to go to the Mets. Not going to lie. You know what? And it was something that was talked about throughout the media for a while. As they got closer to the trade deadline, it was like, no, it's not going to happen. Um, I'm really, James McCann is not a guy that I'm very high on. Um, look, we we kind of shit the money bed with uh, letting Travis Darno go and what he's been doing for the Braves. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. Oh yeah. They're also talking you. about they've they've already talked about potential um like big big hitters that we should potentially be looking at this offseason. And Josh Bell is one of them. He's actually a guy that I've followed for years. I've really liked him as a talent. Um and a guy that I've always said he would be good as a DH for us, even if they flop back and forth between him and Pete Alonso. Mm-hmm. Jose Abreu is another one that's up there for us right now. And J.D. Martinez, obviously, is a DH for him. Um, I don't know, though. Like At at this point, I'm not sure. I'm very optimistic about this offseason and what we can do. And are we going to bring back DeGrom? Are we bringing back Diaz? Um, I'm looking forward to the winter meeting starting. And then just for me, that's for me. Loving baseball as much as I, I do growing up playing it. The winter meetings is always something I always get excited about because that's when the shit fucking gets real and you start mm-hmm. seeing moves and you're like, oh my God, this is happening. This is happening. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for that. So if you don't mind, because it, it is that time again where we got NFL prime predictions, dude, I'm on a winning record right now. I've got a lot. I got a lot of picks right now that have been really, really on fire. Um, if you don't mind, cause we do have our NFL prime predictions. If you want to stick around for that, absolutely. That might be interesting. So, all right. So here we are again, week nine folks, like week, week seven, week eight have been on fire and I'm really optimistic about how week nine is going to play out, but I'm very confident of these picks. So let's, let's do it. Let's turn it up. It's Jake's Prime Predictions. Raiders at Jaguars. I'm going to take, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to take the, the Jaguars plus one and a half. Here's the deal about this. First of all, Josh McDaniels, he's clearly on the hot seat right now for the Raiders. In the Raiders offense, they didn't score any points against New Orleans, which was so tough. And the fact that the run game has still been consistent, they've still been really, really good up on it, but it's time to get the passing game going. Now, it may be difficult because of the fact that the Jags are trying to find some type of heartbeat with their offense. Um, I think they could possibly get it done. Uh, There's a clear possibility. Now, they did get Calvin Ridley. He's suspended still. Now, I'm interested to see how that offense works between him and Christian Kirk. That might be interesting. Um, But in the end, I think it's a good opportunity for the Raiders to bounce back. But I'm going to take the Jaguars plus one and a half 
If things don't go well for the Raiders, I'll take the Jags 23-21, but I will not be surprised if we see something from Josh McDaniels that might change just the way that the offense has been playing. 23-21, that's my final score from there. Chargers at Falcons. I'm going to take the Chargers here up on this one. This is going to be very, very tough. First of all, Atlanta's been playing really, really good, especially against the spread. They've already won six games out of the eight they've played against the spread, and they've been successful. I think Arthur Smith's offense is really starting to click up, but I do think, first of all, going to the overrated take that I took earlier, Justin Herbert is clearly underrated. And I think at this point, because they're fresh off of a bye, everybody's kind of getting their well rest. Now, there is no Keenan Allen. There is no Mike Williams. But Josh Palmer is starting. He is going to be playing. So there are some options that the Chargers could go through. But I don't think that this offensive line for the Atlanta Falcons might have a lot to deal with, especially, especially when you got Khalil Mack and you have a bunch of real good runner-ups up on that front line so we could see a change with how the chargers really put this out so it'll be interesting i'm going to take the chargers to win here 24 20 close game because of the way the play scheme has been these have been a lot of close games lately but i'm going to take a minus three 24 20 will be my final score dolphins at bears i'm going to take the miami dolphins here listen just because that the Chicago Bears ended up acquiring Chase Claypool and the offense is going to look very, very different, I do like with what Chicago's finally doing. Now, they did lose both their pass rushers, Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith. That's going to be interesting to see how the pass rush goes, but Tua might have time. Tua might be able to get a lot of his passes to a lot of his key guys. And they did make some good acquisitions, by the way. They got Jeff Wilson. They got another running back committee there. It's going to be interesting. But I think the Dolphins, they could definitely get it done. The offense looks really healthy. And Mike McDaniel, this could be better. So I think Chicago, they're going to look a little better. They're going to have an opportunity to see how this offense plays. And I think this will be help, helping uh, Justin Fields with where he needs to be in his potential. So I do like it. I'm going to take Miami. 27 to 21 in Chicago. It's a little colder, but I think the Dolphins could definitely get it done. Panthers at Bengals. I'm going to take the Bengals here at minus seven. Listen, they came off of an embarrassing loss against Cleveland with a backup quarterback. You know what most teams do when they come off of embarrassing losses? They rebound. I think Joe Burrow comfortable at home and against a rebuilding Carolina team Cincinnati I think is going to be a lot better now they do have T Higgins and they do have Tyler Boyd there's no Jamar Chase right now but there is a little bit of a dink in the defense because uh Chidobi Awuzie he's out for the season um <clears throat> but they're gonna try to at the very least solidify their defense and play as hard as they can and I think this is a good pass for them um, the fact that they're doing, they're playing against a rebuilding defense, this will be or a rebuilding team. This will be interesting. So I think the Bengals comfortable at home. I'll take the minus seven, 28 to 20 against the Carolina Panthers. Like it, I love it. Vikings at Commanders. People have been taking the underdog 
Washington Commanders up into this point. But I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings at minus three and a half. Do you guys not realize that they do have Lance Kendricks, uh, Kyle Kendricks, and they do have Zadarius Smith as their pass rushers? Offensive line has not looked completely steady for the Commanders, even though that they do have Taylor Heineke. Now, they did say Chase Young is looking better, but they're going to be optimistic about his health. He's not completely there yet, but he's making good moves to get him back into the defense. But I do think it'll be a little of a close game, but still covering at three and a half. I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings. By the way, watch out for TJ Hawkinson in the middle of that field. With the Vikings with their offense right now, this is only telling you, Kirk, you cannot lose on primetime games anymore. You've got an entire offense now in front of you. But I think Minnesota, they're going to come away with the win. 28-23 here at Washington. Bills at Jets. I'm going to just say this is going to be a complete steamroll. 35-17 with a minus 13. I, I, I just, the, the way, first of all, four picks from Zach Wilson last week. Could you imagine what that's going to look like without Jordan Poyer in the defense against Buffalo? I feel like Kyler, uh, Kyer Elam is going to end up um, coming away with two picks of his own. But Buffalo, they are the type of heavyweight like a Mike Tyson or an Evander Holyfield or <clears throat> or any of the heavyweights of that matter that, got, that has big swings. Everybody's looking healthy. And by the way, they did acquire Naeem Hines. They got somebody that can support the backfield as an extra receiver. So I'm going to go with Buffalo. They're probably going to end up steamrolling the Jets. This is one of those games they just can't get over the top on. 35-17, Bills win with a huge, crucial blowout. Rams at Buccaneers. I'm going to take the L.A. Rams here at this point because, first of all, Shaq Barrett is out for the season. And if I recall, um, <clears throat> also one of their secondaries ended up getting hurt this week as well. So that's going to open up some holes for the Rams to potentially produce. Now, Van Jefferson is back. He's healthy. So that means they do have some of their wide receivers that are intact. Um, but I, I, I truly think... I know they're going to try to pass rush a lot on Tampa Bay's end, but I think Matthew Stafford, with the way they played against the San Francisco 49ers, that's, they're going to want to play a lot better than what they did the previous week. Um, but I do think the Rams could do it. I know the offensive line is not great. Matthew Stafford, as long as he produces, and especially Tampa Bay's going through a lot. Tom Brady's going through a lot of personal issues. You got the defense right now that's kind of banged up and parts of their offensive line that's got some issues. I think the Rams could get it done. Plus three to cover. I'm going to take that. 27-24 on the road. Rams will rebound and get the win. Colts at Patriots. I'm going to take the Patriots here in this one. People are thinking the Colts are just going to end up covering up onto this game. I disagree. First of all, Sam Ellinger, young quarterback, you know what Bill Belichick does best. He unravels young quarterbacks. And against an Indianapolis team that has a below average, you know, wide receiver core outside of Michael Pittman, I think the Patriots, they need to clean up this act at quarterback with Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. If you don't trust Mac Jones, sit him. 
and just put in Bailey Zappi, but make a decision because the inconsistency, I saw it last week. They came away with a win, luckily, but that inconsistency showed in the first half. I think New England, they understand it now. I think they're going to end up rebounding and be a lot better on the offensive ends. So five and a half, I'm going to make this a 24 to 17, and it's a comfortable home game in Gillette Stadium. So I think New England will figure themselves out and they'll come away with the win. Titans at Chiefs. I'm going to take the Chiefs here at minus 12 and a half. Now, first of all, Ryan Tannehill's not starting, which means Malik Willis will have his second career start with the Tennessee Titans. Here's the thing. You got to get Malik Willis to throw the ball, damn it. They don't have all the top-tier wide receivers, but I don't care. You've got to get him to throw the ball. I need to see what he can do distributing the football. Now, this might be tougher because the fact of the only way to beat the Chiefs, you got to beat them over the top. They already know that they're banged up on their secondaries, but it may be too much for Malik Willis to overcome, but I got to see him throw over the top. I know they got Robert Woods, and they've got Traylon Burks, they got several other options, but if you're not throwing over the top against this team, you're going to lose it majority of the time. And Kadarius Tony is healthy for this game. So we'll see a debut from him. It'll be interesting to see how this Chiefs offense goes, but knowing Patrick Mahomes, he does distribute the football everywhere. So I'm going to go with a 33-20 Chiefs win, 12 and a half. That's more than enough points that you can get there for the Chiefs to win in Arrowhead. Packers at Lions. Last time I saw this kind of matchup, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were struggling in the first half. I'm going to take the Detroit Lions, fighting up on those kneecaps of Aaron Rodgers and just reminding him, you didn't make a move at all in the trade deadline. You didn't even get a, a number one wide receiver. So this is kind of bashing a lot of Packer fans' heads right now. <clears throat> but Detroit... They're going to figure themselves out. If they don't, the offense clearly seems like Foo's gold. They had a really, really good offensive like play calling with the points, but the record itself does not show it at 1-6. But I do see that they don't give up on certain games. So I'm going to take the Lions in a division rival, like in a division rival setup at three and a half. I like the points. I think they'll win comfortably up at home because remember, Jared Goff is a completely different quarterback at home. He produces. So I think this will be interesting to watch. But Green Bay, good luck with those young receivers, Aaron, because the, at the end of the day, you got to take a step back and you got to start helping these guys. 24-20, Detroit wins here at home. Ravens at Saints. I know people pick the Saints. I'm going to pick the Ravens because here's the thing. Rashad Bateman is out for the remainder of the year. That's a crushing blow. But they acquired Roquan Smith next to Patrick Queen. I do feel like the defense will bail out the Ravens and bail out Lamar Jackson. He has struggled in some tendencies, but did any of you guys watch Isaiah Likely? I thought the kid was great. I think they really did get themselves a really good tight end tandem with Mark Andrews out. He may be out for yet another week, but Isaiah Likely... Really, really good. Has some stuff. But I think they're going to have to rely a little bit on the ground. They're going to also have to rely a little bit more on mid-passing. So I think the Ravens and how New Orleans has been playing, 
because they still got Bayswater Pistol as their starting quarterback for the time being. They're not going to put in Jameis Winston. And Michael Thomas is out for the year with a second dislocated toe. So he's out. Chris Olave's having a rookie of the year type of numbers. So I think the Ravens winning this one minus three, 24-20, I'll take it. I really, I really do think the Ravens will end up winning this game. You have to think with the acquisition of Roquan Smith and how that defense is going to play out with Patrick Queen, like, and a lot of people think that New Orleans, they're really going to bash on Baltimore just because they lost Rashad Bateman and the rest of them. I don't know about that, but I'm taking the underdog Jags, favored Chargers, Dolphins, Bengals, Vikings, Bills, Patriots, Chiefs, and the Ravens, and then there's underdog Lions and the Rams. Those might be my only, those are my only underdogs. Like th- those are the only ones that I think, because first of all, the the Tampa, they lost a the secondary. And I think Matthew Stafford might take advantage of that. And Van Jefferson, so now you have three wide receivers now. And you still got uh, extras. So I think they can distribute the football a little better. But they've got to get this run game uh, working. Because last week against San Francisco, you had Christian McCaffrey who had a trifecta of different t- uh, different touchdowns. So you can't have that happen. But I like these picks. I, I think because of the fact that we literally were on fire the last two weeks, it's now starting to lean a little bit more up onto the favorite spot. First of all, I was pissed off at the the Eagles and Texans game because of the fact of I needed one more freaking point from Philadelphia and they didn't cover. I was just like, wow. But I like these picks, man. Do you have anything to say, especially for that Raiders and <laughs> that Raiders and Jags game? <laughs> 27-24 Raiders. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be a close game. I'm telling you, this is this has been a year where n- nobody has scored more than 7. It's been like a one-score year this year. That's yep. why like the bet lines have just been a not a little screwed up because some of that is just because of just the performances of the offenses. I think we're starting to see defenses play harder. I think we're starting to see a little bit of like offenses. They're still making adjustments and we're in week nine. So it's like, if you haven't figured it out by now, that's going to be a tougher road ahead throughout the second half. The league has been upside down. It really has been. And you know what? I'm here for it. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing just how this plays out the rest of the way. Oh, so am I, but all righty, man. Well, thank you so much for being up on here with me. It's always such a good pleasure talking with you, man, because we talk sports for literally hours, folks like him and I, we just, we click on the same various levels, but you know, like I said, even if we're just divisions, like different teams divided in the division, we still are obviously optimistic and skeptical of our teams, but we're real about them. Still my buddy. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. But thank you so much for joining up in here, Hammer. It's been an absolute pleasure. Have a great weekend, man. And let's just see what the Raiders do against the Jags. I'm a little bit, I'm a little curious, but I'm still going with that point cover, though, because <laughs> I, I just, I just see it being that close because if McDaniels doesn't, if McDaniels doesn't figure that offense out by now, that's going to 
that's going to smell trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so. <clears throat> appreciate, you having, appreciate you having me on, bro. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I am living proof that COVID is still around. Wash your hands and your asses. Yes. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still trying to get over this shit. I still I had to come off of my brother. So, uh, yeah, guys, everybody continue to stay safe. Jake, pleasure. Love you, bro. And uh, we'll be talking soon. Absolutely. You guys also subscribe to Hammer's House as well for all of your diehard Raiders content as well. Don't forget about the Mount Shield more because you got the four horsemen right there. So you guys do not want to end up missing out on all of his great content of everything Raiders for all you diehard Raider fans out there. Subscribe to my boy Hammer's House and Digital Prez. I know you're right there, man. So you you already know what's happening here at Hammer's House. So Thanks, man. Appreciate you. And we'll definitely talk soon. Definitely. Later, bro. Later. It's always so good talking with Hammer a lot. You know, and and like I said, he's very honest about his team. Loves it. And I, I, I'm all for it. I'm all for the content. And I'm all for just a lot of different perspectives. But I like it. All right, guys. That's going to do it for me here in the Snake Sports Talk Show. We got to run. We're on tight schedule. So like, subscribe. Hit the bell button for all latest notifications. I appreciate every single one of you guys. And we will see you guys tomorrow on the next edition of the Snake Sports Talk Show. So you don't want to miss it. See you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you tomorrow, early Sunday morning, Snake Sports Talk Show.